0: We're starting a new series today, dependence on the Father. So before we start, let me uh, please join me in. I'm going to close my eyes because I'm dependent on the Father, and so are you. And so, Father, we just pause again now and acknowledge the fact that we're we're here because of you. And Lord, we need you. And I need you. Lord, my words aren't going to help anybody, but This, your word, is life to us. So, Lord, open our ears, open our hearts, and bring life to us this morning for whatever we face, whatever's around the corner that we don't know about. Lord, we need you, and we need your strength to help us to get us through for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well... (laughs) I want to talk to you today about change. Change. It's something we probably don't think about a lot until it, it hits us, it, until it smashes in on our lives unexpectedly. But change comes upon us all the time. It's something that is a given, isn't it? It's always happening to us one way or another. And we may think it's not until we look in the mirror and we see change. So change can creep up on us slowly. Change can crash in on us suddenly with with a sudden loss. Could be in our relationships, in our finance, in our job, our career. And it brings a lot of distress with it and anxiety. Change can come when someone near to us changes and. That, of course, flows over to us, and it affects us as well. Craig's making a change, but, of course, look at how that affects Josephine and the family and us. So change ripples out like a stone in a pond. Change is something that, even though we love God, we we often find ourselves stuck because we want change. We're waiting for change. There's certain things that we see in our lives, perhaps that we're crying out to God for change and... He just seems to be so slow. And also the flip side of that, what about change that God wants for us and yet we're not listening like small children, you know? Maybe we're focused on one thing. We've got something in a toy in our hands like a small child. And and we're so focused on that that we're not really paying attention. And so God has to call a bit louder and a bit louder. And perhaps that's the change that suddenly crashes into our lives so that we, oh God, what's happening? And at last, he says, you're listening. So I want to talk about change today. There's two quotes up there. One's a very old one, Heraclitus from Ephesus about 500 years before Christ said, there's nothing permanent except change. And you've probably heard variations of that in pop psychology. But the second one certainly is to the, I think, is quite accurate, where American journalist Sidney Harris said, our dilemma is that we hate change and love it at the same time. What we really want is for things to remain the same while they get better. And, And I meditated on that as I was thinking about this message, and I thought how true that is. So change is always around us change is always happening to us. We respond differently, but I think the way we respond can be really, really crucial. So what does it mean for us Christ followers? Well, there's a couple more quotes I've put up from Christian leaders. One is C.S. Lewis. There are far better things ahead than any we leave behind. We need to remember that. Craig needs to remember that, what he shared with us this morning. I mean, we don't see it. It's veiled to us because God wants us to trust him. But there's far better things that lie ahead than what we leave behind. I mean, that has to be true for us. If we're in in Christ, that has to be true. And then John Maxwell, a business leader, and I'm quite familiar with a lot of his material, and you may be as well, He says change is inevitable, but growth is optional. As I say that, I remember a book I read many years ago, and I don't remember anything about the book except the title. And the title was Don't Waste Your Sorrows. And I've always clung to that because when things come into my life, I I don't wanna waste them because God You are God. You are in control. You're totally faithful to keep your promises. You're totally sovereign over all the circumstances. And so, Lord, I don't want to be holding back for a minute if you're calling me forward into change. And yet I do. I still do. My first response so often is to push back. It's interesting, isn't it, because... I hear a word used a lot and people say, oh, well, I reacted to this, but reaction is actually negative, it's a pushback. That's a reaction. A response is different. That's when we're willing to step forward. And as believers, as Christ followers, our response isn't just rushing in blindly. There's no such thing as blind faith. Faith is not blind at all. Faith has our eyes on Jesus Christ. And that's where we go as we start to respond. Lord, I don't understand. I don't know what to do. I have no idea what's going on, but there's something happening. I'm restless in my heart. Or you've convicted me from the word or from the sermon on Sunday. How do I respond? We go to God. And so often in my life, I've been guilty of assuming I know the answer and trying to keep God's promises for him. But that's not faith. And so often we can. You know, he's calling us to do something. We think, oh, yes, I can do that, like New Year's resolutions. But eventually it fails because it's not something that's coming from the heart that God has put into my heart. It's something that's coming from a mind and from my weighing up and thinking, yes, that will be an advantage, so I'll do it. You understand what I'm saying? We've got to operate in faith, and the only way we can do that is by looking to Jesus. It's not blind faith. It's looking unto Christ. So do we believe in God's sovereignty? That's the first question when change crashes in on us. And yes, of course, we say yes, we do up here. But when it comes to the pressure of it, we flail around, don't we, thinking, what must I do, forgetting that our Father is sovereign? And what about his faithfulness? Yes. I give mental assent to that, but I don't really understand his faithfulness until it's put to the test and it's in my heart. And the only way it gets into my heart is through his word. So Israel's struggle, in the passage that Emily read so well for us, Israel's struggle was addressed by God through his prophet Isaiah. Now, most scholars say that Isaiah's prophecy at that time in, in chapter 43 came about halfway through their exile in Babylon, which was five to 600 years before Christ. And so they were in exile. They were a long, long way from home. They were a long way from their culture, from the temple, Jerusalem, and all the, everything that they knew and they held dear They'd been torn away from it, change. And yes, it was a result of their sin. But isn't it amazing because even in spite of their sin, God's message came to them through Isaiah to bring them hope, to give them courage, to remind them that God is sovereign, that he's made these wonderful promises and he won't fail in keeping them. And that's what we need. That's what we need, isn't it? When change comes, whether it's personally, like for Craig and Josephine, whether it's for us as Agora, as a group, as the body, we need to be looking to Christ. And so the elders are asking us to join them in prayer and fasting. And we need to be committed, church, to do that, because it's not just for the church. We are the church, it's for us, and it's going to be determining our future. You see, I was amazed when when Grant said, Craig's been here for four years, thinking of COVID. Isn't that so God? Just before COVID rushes in to bring so much anxiety and stress to people and even to, to rip people away from the church, he brings in a pastor, one whose gift, whose personality, whose wisdom, whose love, whose skills can hold his people together and keep his people focused on the word and on God's promises. You see, Craig was a man for those times. God knew the change was coming. He knew what we needed, and he gave us who we needed. And while we can't see ahead, we can see God, and we can trust him surely that what happens from here on, if we're looking to him, will be something that God wants for us to move us forward into the next phase for Agora as we grow together in our journey for him. Let's have a look at a few verses in Isaiah 43. If you've got your Bible, I'll see if I can... I don't want it too high because I don't want you just to see my forehead, but that's better. See, in Isaiah 43, it's just such an amazing passage. And while I'm going to read to you from a slightly different version, to what Emily read, one of the things that stands out through that whole passage was, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. Over and over again, God says who he is. Because that's gotta be our first focus, who God is. And I believe that's why Jesus, when he taught us how to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse nine, he starts with our Father. And yet so often when we go to him in prayer, It's, oh God, the problem. You see, we don't find strength by gazing at our problem, at our circumstances, at our fears. By voicing them again, even to God, that's not strengthening us, ready for what God is doing tomorrow, but as we look to God, oh, our Father. See, he wants us to lift our mind to who he is. So we can view life and the problems and the fears and the circumstances from the position of being with our Father, looking down at the problem. Instead of from the problem, looking up to God, we're kind of aligning ourselves with God, looking down to the problem, our Father. And of course, the Father is important. That's where, I mean, that was revolutionary to the Israelites when Jesus said that. Because only one person could say, that God was their father and that was the coming Messiah. But Jesus is saying we should all call him father. I mean, he's our Lord, yes. He's our savior, yes. He's our master, yes. He's our friend, yes. But how much more there is in our father. And so if we spend time in the word and start finding passages that help us to understand the love God has for us to realise what he's done for us, and to meditate on that and fill our hearts with that before we start praying about our problems and the issues we're facing. Now, I've always found that to be a massive key to faith. And people have often said to me, oh, you seem so even. You don't seem to get upset or be thrown around by circumstances. You're always like you're floating through. Well, I am because I'm constantly aware of who my father is. And like a small child snuggled up to his daddy, I don't have to worry about tomorrow. I might have those questions, but I voice them in the context of being snuggled up to my father. So let's have a look at verse two of Isaiah 43. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, You will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. It's hard to imagine circumstances worse than that, being consumed by fire or drowned in the river. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've been scared of drowning. I have. I remember once swimming in a big pond in a river up the Coromandel with my grandkids, and I had two little kids there, and I just went out where it was a bit deep and turned around to swim in and I got struck by cramp. I'll never forget that, I was really frightened, not so much for me, but for them, um, because they depended on me, I, I was watching them. And here was I cramping up that I couldn't move my legs. And um, I remember the fear coming upon me. That was a time when I called out to my father, daddy, help me, father, help me, help me. But he's saying, you know, Even when you go through that sort of extreme thing, you will not drown, you will not be burned up, the flames will not consume you. So in spite of my sin, in spite of my shortcomings, in spite of what I see in the mirror where I look old and I'm failing and my memory's not as good as it used to be and this is going to be the story for you too one day, in spite of all of that, weakness, sin, everything else, the worst the devil can do, everything else, in spite of that, he is saving me. And then in verse 5 to 7, do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will gather you and your children from east and west. I will say to the north and south, bring my sons and daughters back to Israel from the distant corner of the earth. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. Well, you and I are not Israelites. Well, you might be. I'm not sure about everybody here, but most of us are Gentiles. And this is speaking about us. I will say to the north and south, bring my sons and daughters back to Israel from distant corner of the earth. I think that's speaking to the Israelites. But then the next verse Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. That's you and me, brother and sister. So the promises for us, not just for Israel. And that makes me think of the Abrahamic covenant, you know, back in Genesis chapter twelve. We actually I'll just read it. It's only three verses. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. Now, this sentence here, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. That's us. And so we can take this word of Isaiah the prophet to the Israelite people, and we can apply it to us as well, down through the ages. Then verse eight and nine. Bring out the people who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. Gather the nations together, assembles the peoples of the world. <sighs> Which of their idols have ever foretold such things? Which can predict what will happen tomorrow? Where are the witnesses of such predictions? Who can verify that they spoke the truth? You see, the people of Babylon and the people that surrounded God's people, Israel in the time, they all had their gods, but their gods were made of stone or wood. They couldn't speak, they couldn't do anything, certainly couldn't create anything. And God's saying that he's gonna gather people even from those sorts of cultures once they turn to him and acknowledge him as the God creator of all, it becomes a different story for them. And so we witness to those things. And so this is all about you and me, and it's about the past. It's about what God has done. There's a couple more verses about the past. First I predict, this is verse 12, first I predicted your rescue, then I saved you and proclaimed it to the world No foreign God has ever done this. You are witnesses that I am the only God, says the Lord. From eternity to eternity, I am God. No one can snatch anyone out of my hand. No one can undo what I have done. I really like that part from eternity to eternity because last year, Craig did a series about the whole Bible story, what the Bible's about, from eternity to eternity. And we're so often locked into our present circumstances. We don't realise that we're a part of God's overarching major plan from before the world was created to after he, he replaces this world, to after he renews the heavens and the earth. So we're living in a little speck of time between those two eternities. But the whole thing, in a way, is about us because God, has done this whole thing because he wants the people and he's chosen you and he's chosen me to be part of that. And that's part of the context of our Father. As we think and as we pray, facing changes and challenges, we realize the full context of the story. And doesn't that shrink our problems? Doesn't that shrink even the worst of circumstances? even if we were to die today, we're part of the story still. And tomorrow is still better than yesterday for us because we'd be with Jesus, even if it got that extreme. And so so Isaiah moves on now to the future. He's moving towards the future and he says in verse 14, I won't read it because because of time, but he just says that for your sake, I will send an army against Babylon. Remember, they were in exile in Babylon. I'll force them to flee. And again, he reminds them, I am the Lord, your Holy One, God's uh, Israel's creator and king. And then he reminds them about the great exodus, how he opened the waters and how he drowned Pharaoh's army. I drew them beneath the waves, he says, and they drowned, their lives snuffed out like smouldering Candlewick. so that's that's the future and then he says in verse 18 and verse 18 and 19 are the key for us this morning but forget all of that forget about the israelite fleeing through the red sea and then god swallowing the egyptians i mean what a miracle that was and you think about the plagues and everything else that came before the slaves were released to go through the Red Sea. Forget all of that. It's nothing compared with what I'm going to do. Oh, this changes my worry, my anxiety to excitement. Does it you? I mean, we're all facing things. I'm pretty sure in saying that 90% of us here today will be facing some sort of problem or issue and we don't really know the way forward. And the other 10%, if you're not facing it, you're going to. We're going to face it, change will hit us one way or another, extreme change. Change that totally knocks us off the rails so we don't know what to do. God reminds of what's been done in the past, so what has he done for you already? I mean, delivering people from the kingdom of Pharaoh That's nothing compared to delivering people from the kingdom of darkness. Delivering people from the the wrath of Pharaoh. That's nothing compared with delivering people from the wrath of God. And this is what we need to do. This is glass half full theology. See, I'm about to do something new. Do you not see it? And it's all part of the Abrahamic covenant, and it's all for us. So there was Israel. They were 1,700 kilometres away from Jerusalem. That's how far they were from home, and they longed to go home. And 1,700 kilometres, that's a long way to walk. Most of them didn't have camels or anything. Only the elite had camels. Imagine walking 1,700 miles, and that was through burning desert. Most of them probably wouldn't survive, especially the elderly or the very young or the sick, 1,700 kilometres. But to get home, the way they would have gone was 2,300 kilometres along the rivers, so they had water and food. What a journey. You see, that's why it was so hopeless for them, stuck in Babylon. You look at 2,300 kilometres of walking, What a hopeless situation. But God was going to lead them out. So what does that say about us? Because sometimes we're stuck. We're facing a situation, we just don't know the way ahead. It seems totally impossible. But Isaiah, in chapter 43 particularly, his word comes to us, God saying, forget about your salvation, forget about all of your testimony of the past, because I'm gonna build on that, I'm gonna take you further, I'm gonna do something even more wonderful in your life. And yes, it will be one day when you're transformed completely to live in the new kingdom of heaven, but even on the way there, step by step of the journey, you're gonna get blessing. That's what God's saying to us today. Grace we've experienced is nothing nothing compared with what is to come so Harris was correct, our dilemma is that we hate change and we love it at the same time, what we really want is for things to remain the same but to get better I just want to put a couple of verses up there because I want you to be really sure that Isaiah's promise is to us as well because Galatians 3.14 says it. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles. That's you and me. With the same blessing he promised to Abraham. So that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. So we have the Holy Spirit whose job is to lead us to Christ, to lead us into, towards the promised land if you like. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, and through Christ our amen, which means yes, our amen ascends to God for his glory. We sing that, don't we? All his promises are yes and amen. These are verses that, that really help us. I'm putting up some other verses because we're explaining the difference between reacting which is probably a normal thing to push back at first when the shock hits us but we've got to move from there to responding and these are the sort of verses that we should be looking at and reading to help change our hearts and build our faith i mean i've just put up three or four that that i really love but the bible is full of these sorts of verses isaiah 29:11 i know the plans i have for you says the lord They have plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. And so we read the Bible, we read these verses, we don't just flick over them and say, oh, I've got to do my, my mandatory chapter of reading or whatever it is. No, we've got to stop and we've got to meditate and pray on these verses. We've got to say, oh, God, you have plans for me. That's amazing. That helps me to see that you know beyond what I know. And those plans are for good. And I have a future and a hope. Well, my hope is in you, Lord. I don't see, but help me to see. Like that father who said, oh, Lord, I I believe, but help my unbelief. You know, we have that sort of battle, that sort of tension. Psalm 32, verse 8 to 9, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and a bridle to keep it under control. Oh, God, I have to confess how often I've been like that stubborn mule with my hooves dug in. So you have to drag me kicking and screaming. I don't want to be like that, Lord. I don't want to be like that because you've offered to guide me. And a guide doesn't have to drag someone. So, Lord, I want to follow you. Help me to follow you. And so we read these sorts of verses and we pray and we ask God to come and bring them alive in our hearts And we find that we're facing change now with an enthusiasm to say, God, yes, I love the past, but I'm not gonna be stuck there. I'm willing to move forward with you, trusting you, whatever it is that you have for me. I'm responding to you. So we should start that. If you're feeling convicted because you've kind of got in a rut and you're comfortable and maybe God has said some things to you but you've not responded this is the way to respond if you're feeling frightened and overawed because you can see things coming up and you just it's like a steamroller coming and you just don't know how to respond this is how you respond this is how you do it it's the one way God has given us without it we are stuck and we're lost So we have the children of Israel leaving Babylon. In the prophecy, God is giving them hope, preparing them. Use the old things that I've done as a springboard to have faith for the things I'm going to do for you now and in the future. And that's, Paul, especially in Ephesians, he compares our Christian life to a walk. See, a walk is a step and every step we take is a change and every step we take, we're growing more like Christ. Christ-likeness is the ultimate goal for our lives. And along the way, God will bless us. And our paths are different to each other. You know, it's not a blessing necessarily a physical blessing, but it's a blessing of peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's a blessing of serving God, loving God, knowing that he's in charge of your life having the strength to move forward even in difficult circumstances, those sorts of blessings God has promised us. You'll be amazed at what God can do for you. He hasn't brought you this far to have only come this far. That's easy to remember. might be worth writing it down because in a way this is the trigger we need sometimes to snap out of fear to snap out of anxiety to start to turn our eyes towards jesus and faith he hasn't brought us this far to have only brought us this far one step after another on our journey to glory so god says forget all i've done in the past It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. It's something new. I've already begun. Do you not see it? The word see is perceive. You know we can see, but not see. We can hear, but not hear. How often does a parent say to a child, are you listening? Well, the child's heard the words, but the child's not obeying. So listening isn't just a physical action of the ear. It's a movement into the heart where there's a response. Seeing is the same. It's not just an action of the eye. It's a movement through the mind, the will, to the heart where there's a response. Do you not perceive it? Perceiving is is the right way to think about it. Are you still sitting in Babylon, living in the old stories? I mean, I've I've met a lot of Christians over the years and often when you talk to them, they have a story about how they came to Christ but there's nothing since. And I often wonder, are you in a rut? Are you living a life way back then when you made a commitment for Christ? Surely there's something contemporary. Surely there's something in your life and present that you give thanks for that's at the forefront of your mind that God is doing in you. And through you don't be like that don't be one living in the past sitting in comfort now in the same old same old that's not a way to live if you just come here on Sunday because it's just a habit it's what you're used to doing it's not it's not life it's not what God has for you we need to cry out for change if we're in that sort of rut we need to wake up and say oh God I need to change examine my heart and help me, because if we don't ask him to examine our hearts, he'll bring us to a place where we're forced to, and that'll be through change that's unexpected and disruptive. And so we need to be proactive about our old sins, our old habits and living in a rut. God hasn't brought me this far to have only come this far. I was, I know what I was talking about and I I understand perfectly what Craig was talking about and I'm sure a lot of you do too. I mean, for years I had a, an, a, an amazing life, honestly. I travelled a lot. I spent a lot of time in America, a lot of time in the islands. Um, I used to go to different churches and speak. I met a lot of amazing people, you know. I, things. If I told you everything, you'd think I was making it up. But I got an invitation to Ronald Reagan's birthday, and I went to that. That was back in the 80s. Um, Amazing. I was a friend of the King of Tonga. I used to go and spend time with him and we'd talk about the Lord. And, you know, I've had an amazing life and then all of a sudden it was cut short. Talk about disruptive, unexpected change. I lost everything. It all stopped. And I resonate with what Craig said because the first thing you do is you get down and you start, well... I started blaming others. Then I moved to blaming myself. And and I think that was all true in a way. There were things done to me that were wrong. There were things I did that were wrong. But, you see, it's like those children of Israel who were so rebellious, constantly singing against God and yet still God loves them and he reassured them over and over again that he loves them and he's the holy one of Israel with the power to deliver them and I'm going to do something even greater than your last deliverance. So don't let that get in your way of expectation of what God's going to do next in your life, in your family, in your circumstances. We've got to have faith So it was really the hardest thing I ever did because I so enjoyed that lifestyle. And, and, you know, people, I used to go to places and people thought I was somebody because, especially in America, you know, here's this guy with his accent and he travels and he knows about the islands and blah, blah. and, You know, that feeds the ego. That's something that you really enjoy. And stopped. Last week I was in Auckland and I met with, the Fijian guy who's our leader in Tonga um, because I was involved in particularly Tonga and the Solomon Islands but other places as well and and I sat with Willie and I I realised a few things as he told me what was happening in the ministry the ministry has gone so far ahead without me and I realised here he is a young man, vibrant full of faith he grew up from through our ministry he was discipled by us and he when he came and joined us years ago he was the gardener he had no skills for ministry at all and now he's not only leading Tonga he's in demand he's on the youth for Christ board and he goes up to Holland and speaks to them there at their conference and he's in demand in America I introduced him for a few to a few churches up there and they ask him back but I'm not going back But I I see how necessary that was for the ministry because I'd come to the place where it had outgrown me and I was beginning to stifle it. And it's like that with our kids, you know. Our kids grow up. We don't keep treating them like they're little girls or little boys. We've got to allow room for them to grow and room for them to leave the nest and forge their own path. And we can only hope and pray that they carry the values that we've instilled with them and their lives are fruitful and successful because of that, but we have to let them go. And the ministry was the same, because God wants it in a new season, and that requires a new leader, because I was comfortable. I was comfortable in the skin I had at the time, and it wasn't the best for the ministry, and it certainly wasn't the best for me. And God stopped it abruptly, and I think it's because I was so busy and so absorbed with what I was doing, I wasn't really hearing him because I made the mistake a lot of people in ministry make where I spent most of my time, pretty much all my time in the word, preparing for other people, not for myself. I didn't allow the very thing I've been talking to you about. And that's why I feel this so strongly for Agora and for each one of you individually. We've got to turn our eyes to Jesus. We've got to realize that he's done so much for us but that's only the beginning of what he he wants to do, if only we'll let go and let him. So there's quite a few things I could say. I mean, there's several sermons in this, but I just want to make one more point before I close. And that is we, we have to let go before we can pick up. You know, if I've got this in my hand, how can I pick this up? I've got to put this down first and then pick it up. And and that's that's the painful part of change. So what's God calling you to let go? There may be something in your life it may not be sin it might be sin. I mean we we have a habit of oh yeah that's that's not right but mm, I move on. You know we don't deal we're not proactive we don't deal with sin and and cut it out like a surgery that's needed. But we need to be like that. But if we let it grow, God will have to do the surgery. Well, he has to do it anyway, of course, but it's much easier before it gets too big. So we've, we've only come this far because God's got a future for us he's only delivered the, them from Egypt because God had a promised land and even in there they sinned they didn't fulfill their destiny and so back into judgment God delivered them again why does God keep doing that well he keeps doing it for you and for me because he loves us because he has decided he's going to make us ready for glory he's going to make us like Jesus Christ Whether we want to or not, he's going to do it. It's just a matter of how hard he has to get my attention. So putting down to take up relationships, social groups, sometimes you've got to change those things. Habits, possessions, even friendships, they may not be sinful, but they might be for the old season. Oh, God, give us strength to let go of everything except you so we can hold on to you even Stronger, Oh, Lord, we all need to do that. No matter where we are, who we are, what we've done, we need more of you. We need less of the world, even the good things of the world. Help us, Lord, that you might increase and the world decreases in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Well, just as I finish, there's a couple of certainties about change. The first one is God uh, changes God's method of getting our attention. It's his plan to keep us moving into Christ likeness so that we're prepared for heaven where no sin can exist. We will all face unexpected and unwanted changes, maybe even now, because remember, Jesus said here on Earth, you'll have many sorrows and trials, but take heart for I have overcome the world. It's interesting to me that he hadn't gone to the cross yet, but he's said it in the past tense. I have overcome the world. That helps me to realize that this this overcoming of the world that Jesus is talking about happened even before creation. It wasn't just a patch up on a plan that went a bit sideways so God had to think of something. No, it was right from before creation. I have overcome the world. And the third thing is, the longer we fail to look for God and be willing to embrace change, the more disruptive it becomes. So coming out of Egypt was not the end for those people, nor was Babylon. And yet by the time Jesus came, their religion was so systemized that they didn't even really need God. They certainly didn't recognise them when he walked amongst them. Isn't it easy to get into that trap? Don't, Don't let yourself fall into that trap. Don't get in the rut. Use the past as a springboard into the future. Change will always be with us. Bodies decay, dreams and plans blow apart, pandemics strike, pastors step aside, It's interesting, Craig hasn't stepped down, he's stepped back from the front row into the side row, but he's not gone, and I'm so thankful for that because my first response was something of a grief, thinking we're losing a friend as well as a really good pastor, but we're not. He's stepping aside from being pastor, but he's still here as part of us and part of the body, and we're really grateful for that. And God hasn't brought Agora this far, He hasn't brought Agora this far to have only come this far. We're a body, we're an organism, we're growing, we're doing it together. And so whatever God's plan is, how difficult it may be to let go of Craig, we've got to realize that the next thing is going to be even greater. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, to give you a purpose and a hope. Or as Isaiah said, I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. I'm about to do something new. Father, let's pray. Father, change is is so usual, so common. We probably don't think about it much. We're not proactive anyway, Lord. And for us here, maybe some of us changes coming come upon us abruptly this year, maybe already. Or maybe it's creeping up slowly with a sense of doom and uncertainty growing in our minds. Maybe it's brought on us by somebody else, their actions, but it's flowing over onto us. Or maybe we're in a rut, we're comfortable and we're doing same old, same old, just we're doing Christianity by habit. Oh, Lord, help us to give you permission to change us. But first, Lord, give us eyes of faith to see Jesus and to realise that the wonderful deliverance you've made in our lives already is nothing compared to what you're going to do for us as you lead us towards that new Jerusalem. It might be 2,300 kilometres away from today. It might seem hopeless to us, but Lord, we know that you have all things in your hand. And so Lord, lead us beside those rivers, those peaceful waters to the new Jerusalem. Qualify us to be there with Jesus for all eternity, I pray in his name, amen.